Pastor Xavier Reese and the only door to salvation. He who has a son has life. He who has not the son has not life and the wrath of God abides in him. John 3.36. Horrible words, but truthful words. Don't get caught up with false hope. If you die without Christ, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus told that to Nicodemus. As hard as it is for us to acknowledge, some of our husbands and wives will not be in heaven. Some of our children will not be in heaven. But none will be without excuse. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. With so many types of churches, what kind pleases God the most? Today, Pastor Xavier turns back to the book of 1 Thessalonians as he reveals the marks of a church that truly honors God. Here he is with today's Simple Truth study, Mission Accomplished, from Chapter 2. Paul has been the attorney for the defense regarding his ministry at Thessalonica from verse 1 through 12 in chapter 2. The false allegations by the Jews regarding Paul and the others were exposed for what they were. Lies and attempts to keep the Thessalonians from following Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Paul now moves to become the presiding judge who proclaims the verdict. In verses 13 and 14. Mission accomplished. The word of God accomplished what it purposed. And it always does. Does it not? And so Paul's verdict consists of three proclamations. Let me read verses 13 and 14. For this reason we also thank God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God. Which you heard from us. You welcomed it not as the word of man. But as it is in truth the word of God. Which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. Here's Paul's verdict. It consists of three proclamations. First, the word of God is sown, or was sown. First part of verse 13. Secondly, the word of God took root. The latter portion of verse 13. And then thirdly, the word of God brought fruit. Verse 14. The word of God was sown, took root, and brought fruit. Three proclamations. This is his verdict. Mission accomplished. Notice first Paul thanked God because the Thessalonians were open to the word preached. The word of salvation, the message of God was proclaimed to them through the agency of Paul and others. God has chosen in this lifetime to use man as the vehicle. I don't understand it. And in that proclamation, God's Spirit does a work that no one can understand, and He transforms a life. The plan of God is that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save man. 1 Corinthians 1.21 Of all things that God has chosen, a vocal proclamation in the ear of the listener. That's what He's used. Amazing. And notice secondly, the last portion of verse 13. The word of God took root. First, the word was working in power, which also effectively works. The phrase effectively works means to be actively and efficient. The word is almost always used in the New Testament for some form of supernatural activity. 
The phrase is in the present tense, continuous process. It worked when they preached, it took root, and it's still working. How's it going with your life from the time you heard? When it was sown, did it take root? Is it still working? The Word of God had sprouted into their hearts, resulting in salvation in the past when they had come to them. The Word of God had continued to work in their everyday life, bringing forth God's work in their heart. Now, you know how tough they had it. Sometimes we say, we think we have it tougher than before. No, no, no. You've got to understand these guys. We've already looked at the introduction. These guys are pagans, hardcore pagans. They live in Thessalonica. They are known. And when they choose Christ, they are marked. We get lost in the sea of humanity here in the city. We can camouflage ourselves real good. These guys took a stand. It cost them. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. The flip side of that is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. A co-participation that I do not understand and I am so glad. But I must yield to God to work in me thoroughly, completely, daily, continuously. Notice secondly here, the world was working in people. You might miss it if you don't read it carefully. Two words. In you. Very personal. It's working in you. You see, no one's going to be in front of God except you on Judgment Day. You're not going to be able to point fingers to your wife, your husband, your kids, or anybody else. Not even your pastor. It's got to be working in you. Salvation is not the process of osmosis. <laughs> it's individual. It's personal. The Word of God is not for behavioral modification. God is not merely interested in making you be a nicer person on the outside. That's what the social sciences want you to be. So they'll take you through behavioral modification courses. 12-step courses. And you can be trained just like a dog. And you walk around, it's in me, it's in me, I can do it, I can do it. Well, that's good. But it's not changing the inside. The Word of God is not to make man religious. Religious people are farther away from God than evil people many times. It's a step away from God. Religiosity is an enemy of God. It's a hindrance to God. It's an appearance of being good while denying your evilness, your lostness. The Word of God is not to condemn others and exalt ourselves. It's that the Holy Spirit can convict others and humble us. Looking to Him. You see, the Word of God is designed to work in the inner man. Ephesians 3.16 says. To change me from day to day. To change my heart. To change my thinking. To change my attitude. To change my perspective. About God. About man. About me. About sin. About Satan. About everything. The Word of God is designed to counteract the evilness of my heart and sin nature. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things. Only God knows it. The Word does this by driving man to the cross of Christ. Romans 6 says, you are, have been crucified with Christ. Romans 6.11, continue to crucify the old man daily. Put him out of business. Listen, at the cross, every person is confronted with their sins, plural. If you go to the foot of the cross and you feel sentimental and you get moved emotionally, but you do not get convicted. It is not the cross of Christ. 
The cross of Christ convicts you of your sin because you deserve to be up there rather than the holy God. The cross of Christ will kill your flesh, will put to death your flesh, but not against your will. Not against your will. Incredible mystery, isn't it? Notice thirdly, the word was working by faith. Two words. Who believe? He's already made a personal in you. So don't pawn it off. Say, oh, I wish Mary was here. Boy, this sermon's good for her. Guess what? Mary isn't here. You are. If the shoe fits, wear it. If not, hand it down. Who believe? The word believe, as you know, has the idea of committing and trusting. Faith is absolutely necessary for the word to take root and to see God in our daily lives. Or without it, it, we cannot please God. Without it, we cannot please God. Hebrews eleven six. Now, your faith must have an object. Faith has an object. If the object of your faith is not God's revelation of His Word, your faith is not biblical. If your faith is not in the person of Jesus Christ, it's not biblical. Many people say, well, I have faith. I believe in God. But they live contrary to the Scriptures. Their faith does not align with the revelation of God or the person of Christ. It's a pseudo-placebo that people take today to make themselves feel good. You don't know how, how many funerals I do where people say, well, you know, um, you know, you never know. You know, he could have the last minute. That's true. But I have seen his life for 40, 50 years, 30 years. And my conclusion is, he didn't have Christ. Listen, if you don't know Jesus Christ, don't play with your eternity. Some people do accept Jesus Christ on their deathbed. And that's God's mercy. But listen, don't satisfy yourself deceiving yourself if your loved one or your friends do not know Jesus Christ and they die without Him. Funerals are a place to proclaim the gospel. Funerals are not for the dead. Funeral for the living. That they might not die eternally. To present the way of salvation. To point say, listen, every one of us is going to be up here. You're going to be in this casket one of these days. Have you made your reservations for eternity? It's too late for the person that's dead. Whatever you want to believe, they're in heaven or they're in hell. One of the two. But the message is for you. Where are you going to be? Now is when you can make a decision about it. Not afterwards. But the gospel has a cross and has a resurrection. A crossless gospel has no power. You must die. And God will raise you in the power of the Spirit of God. If you're walking in your own strength, you probably haven't come through the cross. It's a heavy acknowledgement. It's a, a real sharp look at the mirror. If you have, then you're a new creature. Second Corinthians 5.17 All things pass away. Everything becomes new. Are you the same person that you were before you came to Christ? Then you're probably not in Christ. Was there a drastic change in your life, but now you've gone back? Then you need to repent again. Get back on track. Life that never ends. He who has a son has life. He who has not the Son has not life, and the wrath of God abides in him. John 3.36 Horrible words, but truthful words. Well, don't get caught up with false hope. If you die without Christ, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus told that to Nicodemus. As hard as it is for us to acknowledge, 
Some of our family members will not be in heaven. Some of our husbands and wives will not be in heaven. Some of our children will not be in heaven. But none will be without excuse. The parable of the sower once again presents the soils of the heart. Four types. Do you remember the Philippian jailer in Acts 17.30? Ready to kill himself. Paul says, put away your sword. We are all present. He runs and says, what must I do to be saved? The word was sown. They were worshiping God as they were in the stocks and had been beaten. He was listening. The word was sown. The word took root. What must I do to be saved? That is a necessary step if you're sitting here this morning. If you say that was a nice message, that's not good enough. You must come at the end of this message and say, what must I do to be saved? Our faith is to be the work of the Spirit of God and His power. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Ephesians uh, 6, 10, before the armor says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Too many today are trusting in their own church, their teachers, their pastors, their counselors, their active church, their famous church, their famous pastor, and they're lost in the father's house. Prodigal son. Two were lost. One left. Knew it was lost. Came back and was found. The other one never left the father's house and remained lost. It's scary, isn't it? Let me propose to you many people sitting in church this morning going to hell. And they don't know it. Now the Thessalonians were not of this type. They were moving on in faith even though Paul had left them. They were now going back into the world. What would happen if I stumbled and I fell? Would some of you go back in the world? What if I blew it big time? Would you say, that's it for me? One more down. Then shame on you. You've got me as your savior. You should pray for me. And you should live on to Christ. The word of God took root in the Thessalonians. Has it taken root in you? Or are you just a Sunday Christian? Are you mixing things up? Are you rationalizing your living? Your commitment? Notice thirdly. Verse 14, the word brought fruit. Sown, root, it brings forth fruit. Notice first, the Thessalonians became imitators of the churches of God in Judea in Christ Jesus. They were imitators because they were what? Brethren. He addresses them as brethren. The word means of the, born of the same womb. They were of the same family. Therefore, their resemblance was to be evident of their father. Listen, when you have a son and you present your son, people see some resemblance. If they don't have any resemblance, they go, that's your son, huh? <laughs> now, it may be, but if there's no striking, people go, yeah, sure. <laughs> He's going to look a little like you, a little bit like your wife. I mean, there's going to be sometimes just like you. These were, they were children of God. They were imitators, mimickers, literally, in the sense of disciples of Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 6. You became followers of us and the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 10. They were imitators, mimickers, in the sense that they were waiting for Jesus to return from heaven. Chapter 2, verse 12. They were imitators or mimickers in the sense that they walked worthy of the kingdom. And now, they were imitators, mimickers of the churches of God, which were in Judea. The churches of God identified their spiritual birth from heaven in contrast to the assemblies of man apart from the synagogue. 
Paul wants to make sure they don't attribute the church of Jesus Christ as an extension of the synagogue. He says, this is not the synagogue. This is the assembly of Christ's church. This is not another called out. You know the word ecclesia means to call out. It's used for an assembly of call out, whether it be for war or for civil government, whatever it may be. He qualifies the church of God. 115 times it's used in the New Testament. Which book do you think uses the word ecclesia more in the New Testament? The Gospels? Nope. Only found twice in Matthew. Book of Acts? Nope. The book of Revelation. 20 times. And you know what? 19 of those 20 are found in chapter 1, 2, and 3. The last one is used in Revelation 22, 16. 19 times in those three chapters. Why? Because the book of Revelation is all about the church. How? The church is out of here before the tribulation period. And she's addressed in the first three chapters. Are you the church of Philadelphia? Do you have hope that you're going to be taken from that hour that will come upon the world? To escape all tribulation? The great tribulation? If you're the church, you will. The church is comprised of those called out of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Colossians 1.13 The churches of God in Judea notice refer first to the original church in Jerusalem. And then those that sprung out from Jerusalem through persecution. The church was birthed at Pentecost. The church was empowered by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The church added 3,000 to the church at Pentecost. And the church grew at Pentecost. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. The power of God. The church. The called out. They were imitators due to the fact that they were, here it is, in Christ Jesus. Notice how he, he is constantly addressing them in each label, each identity with their spiritual transformation. The ability was due to their acceptance of Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. The identity of being brethren in the church of God was due to their identity being in Christ. Their identity is distinct from any other assembly, civil, legal, or religious. It's the church of God. In Christ Jesus. That narrows it pretty much. Paul doesn't want it to be confused with anything else. Notice secondly here. The Thessalonians endured persecution as the churches in Judea. Here's an evidence of it now. He not only gives the identity, but he gives us the evidence. They manifested the very same endurance and perseverance as all others who had preceded them. They were the target of the unbelieving world. If you're a Christian, you're going to be targeted in one way, shape, or form through your life. They were the opposed for the rejection of sin and darkness. You used to be in darkness. You used to be in sin. And when you reject darkness and sin, people are going to say, Well, you think you're better than me? What's wrong with this? You guys don't know how to have fun. These were like the ones Paul used to persecute. Acts 8, Acts 9, Galatians 1, 22 and 23. Fervently. They suffer from their own countrymen. Notice that as those in Judea. At their conversion. The persecution against Paul was of Jewish origin. So it can't be speaking of that. Acts 17, 5 through 9. It was Jewish origin when he got to Thessalonica. What is he saying here then? He's saying that the persecution that came to the Thessalonians was of their own countrymen. Literally, their tribes people. The Gentile. The predominant population of the church was Gentile. And those who rejected the gospel were Gentile. They persecuted the Gentiles who accepted Christ. Their own tribes people. 
heavy. They suffered in like manner as the churches of Judea from the Jews. The persecution was not due to cultural differences. Don't mistake in that. The persecution was spiritual due to having received the word of God in their hearts, believing that Jesus was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. They suffered after Paul left. The parable of the sower once again gives us the fourth heart. Good ground. The seed fell, it brought forth 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, where's your heart fit this morning? Are you this hard heart by the wayside word? It's like water off a duck's back. Here's another message you've heard. Or is it stony ground? You embrace the word joyfully, but then persecution comes and you say bye. Hard times come. Or maybe it's the, the, the thorn ground. And the cares of the world, the riches, the pleasure, the, the whatever, it squeezes Jesus out. Or is it the good heart that says, you know, Lord, I agree with you. I want you to work through me from day to day. I want to serve you. I want to be different from what I used to be. Your heart fits in one of those four. We are called to bear fruit according to the nature of the church revealed in Scripture. Jesus said in John 15, 16, and 17 that we are to bring much fruit and our fruit should remain. It is He working in us. You should be able to see fruit in your life by the grace of God. You're the first to inspect the fruit. We are to have a fruit unto holiness, Romans six twenty two. We are to yield to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians five twenty two and 23. As agape love, manifesting many different varieties of that and manifestations. Remember that Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He would build it. Matthew 16, 16. I'm so glad for that. Persecution has never hurt the church. It has only purified it. It has been said that the blood of the saints is the seed of the church. And who is to know that God would not allow persecution to come before he takes us out of here? To remove all the shaft. What will you be? Wheat or shaft? Time will reveal that. It's a test of all things. Persecution will bring about two things. I want you to remember this. Persecution will bring about two things. First, our need of Christ's strength. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Secondly, our genuineness of faith. The persecution will... Prove who you are. First Peter 4.19 says that we are to commit ourselves and our suffering to Him who is a faithful creator. You see, the Word brought fruit in and through the Thessalonians. How about your life? You're the judge this morning. What is the verdict over your own life? You have the ability to make that judgment if you're a Christian. Or if you call yourself a Christian. If you're a non-believer, I've taken you through it. The Word has been sown this morning. I pray that it's taken root. You have to make a decision. Do you believe Jesus, the Son of God, died in your place? Or do you believe you're good enough to get to heaven on your own? You're going to have to make that decision. It will affect all of your eternity. You'll be able to blame no one. You're in the driver's seat. And so Paul's verdict for the defense is threefold. The Word of God was sown. The Word of God took root. And the Word of God brought fruit. Mission accomplished. 
incredible message that he gives to the Thessalonians. Pastor Xavier Reese had a reason to believe, but inevitably the choice is up to you. Now today's message, titled Mission Accomplished, is available on CD as always for only $4. And by the way, this will also include everything we heard the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is Mission Accomplished, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it helps us when you include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This information is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What is the heart of sacrifice? That study from the book of 1 Thessalonians next time, right here on Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com